0: Hello guys, great to be with you again today. I, I think that there are two types of people in this world. I think there are people that give positive feedback and there are people that give honest feedback. I think, I think they're the two types of people in this world. When you, when you see someone coming towards you and you know they're going to give you some feedback... You're desperately hoping that they're the former, that they're a positive feedback. What you want to hear, wow, that was amazing. That was the best thing I've ever seen or heard. Um, you know, you want your kind of, you want your Louis Walsh's in your life. He can sing, he can dance. Simon, he's a star. <laughs> but when all is said and done, you actually don't really want your positive feedback. What you really need in your life is your honest feedback kind of people, probably a healthy balance. But what you really want is your honest feedback kind of people. I got some great honest feedback from a 9 a.m. gathering recently. Someone came up to me and said, look, that sermon, they had a smile on their face. So I was like, this is probably going to be good, good news. That sermon, look, it was so, it was so audible. I was like, wow, it wasn't what I was going for, but thanks for your honest opinion, (laughs) honest feedback. Or my friend Henry, who I went to university with, he'd give me honest feedback. Usually on the way to a night out, usually in the taxi or in the queue, he'd be like, mate, have you had a shower? You stink. (laughs) Thank you, Henry. Honest feedback's important. I always tell you about one other piece of honest feedback I once got from my teacher in year 13. I got to that stage, I don't know if you ever got there, where I felt too cool for school. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a good place to be. But I'd, I'd had a pretty bad year 12. I'd failed my AS levels, or a couple of them. I'd got bad results. There's a bit of a low ebb in my schooling time. And at this, the first term in October, I sat down in front of my psychology teacher, Mrs. Kerr. Shout out if you're listening, Mrs. Kerr. And she, she looked at me and she said, Luke, you sit in my lessons with your arms folded and your body language is terrible, your eyes are down, you never smile, you never offer anything into the class, and you've got so much to offer. Like, you've got so much potential. I can see there's a bright spark in you, but you're not not letting anyone see it. You need to open yourself up, and you need to bring yourself to your lessons, bring yourself to your classes, and you'll see the difference. And that was amazing feedback. It, It stung at the time, and I remember thinking, who do you think you are, Mrs. Kerr? Um, But she was so right, and it really lifted me in the way that I saw education and applied myself. And I managed to pull it back, and I got to university, and it was all fine in the end. But what she did brilliantly was she held the tension of of caring deeply for me and speaking directly to me. That is the golden nugget of feedback. And someone else who gives incredibly honest feedback to us is Jesus right, Jesus, and we're starting a new sermon series today on the book of Revelation, Uh, and we're going to hone in on Jesus' feedback to the seven churches in the province of Asia. He writes seven letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and he lets his followers know exactly how they're doing. He gives them some very direct and honest feedback. Because feedback is significant, right? It's it significant that my sermons are audible. It's significant that I don't smell when I go out in the public. And it's significant that I had confidence in myself to apply myself in my education. But above all, if we go to the first slide, it is eternally significant that our output and our actions... As a church, as individuals, as followers of Jesus, it is eternally significant that we are aligned to the word and the will of Christ. It is eternally significant because he is the author and perfecter of our faith and he is above all things. So as Rachel said, my name's Luke. If we've not met, I'm a curate here, so I'm training to be a vicar. I'm here to church plant with my wife Hannah and our son Isaac. And please do be praying for us as we continue to figure out what that might look like. But for now, we're going into Revelation. We're going there, guys. So strap in. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear someone talk about Revelation. What is the image that comes into your head? How does it make you feel? Are you a bit nervous? I don't know, have you studied it before? Have you read it? So if, you're, if Revelation fills you with dread, then fear not. Okay, don't panic, it's not as scary as it might sound. And what I wanna do this morning is sketch out a little bit of what the book of Revelation is, what it's there for, and why we should listen to it, and then zoom in briefly at the end on the first letter. John Marsh this morning told me a joke. He said, Revelation's all about eschatology, and if you don't know what that means, it's the end of the world. (laughs) He told me to share that, so thank you, John Marsh. So firstly, I want to look at the simple thing. Okay, What, What is the book of Revelation? What is it? And the first thing that the book of Revelation is, is a letter. It is a letter or an epistle, a little bit like we see Paul writes throughout the New Testament. So it's a piece of writing that's written to a specific people at a specific time by a specific person. Okay, it's a letter. So it's written by Jesus via John, the disciple on the island of Patmos. We we read that in Revelation chapter 1. And it was written to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And it was written in around about 96 A.D., Okay, so we've got Jesus comes, lives, dies, rises again, ascends. Then the the Pentecost happens. We have celebrated that last week. The Holy Spirit comes. The apostles go out, plant churches all over the known world. They plant a lot of these seven churches that we're going to hear about. Christians popping up all over the place. Revival is happening. And then there's about 30 years between that and this letter being written. And in those 30 years, there's a guy called Nero who's very angry, doesn't like the Christians, starts killing them, doing horrible things, feeding them to the lions. Uh, and then after Nero, there's an even more angry guy called Domitian who also goes about killing Christians. He executes loads of the apostles in front of all the Christians. And there is loads of pressure now on anyone living in the Roman Empire to declare Caesar as Lord, to worship Caesar. So this letter is written in a real time of heightened persecution that most Christians probably would know someone who's being killed because of their faith. So that's significant. This is a letter written to a persecuted people at a specific time. And it's also important to know this letter is not written to us and it's not written to us now. But it's written for us now, but it's not written to us. So that means that all of the scary imagery and things in Revelation where you're like, because it says all this stuff, that probably means things that are happening now, that's not very helpful to be thinking about because it's not a letter written to our specific day. John is not sitting on Patmos thinking, right, the mark of the beast, that's AI. (laughs) He wasn't thinking that, guys. Um, But we can glean loads of truth from this whole book, this whole letter, but it's not written specifically to our context. And that's an important tension to hold as we read the book of Revelation. So Revelation is a letter. Secondly, it's a prophecy. Okay, so what does that mean? Revelation, it says in chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Prophecy. And in Revelation 22, verse 7, it says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So, prophecy, what is it? Essentially, in this kind of format, a biblical prophecy is a message from God to us spoken out by a prophet. So, it's not just a prediction about the future. I think a better understanding of prophecy is that it's like a divine diagnosis of the present state of affairs of the time, and it references the past, and it references the future, but it's like a divine diagnosis rather than just mystic Meg trying to read your mail. What you need to know as well is that prophecy is not linear. It's not like a linear narrative, A, A, then B, then C, then D. It jumps around a bit. The timing is all off. It's a bit warped, a bit like if you're in a dream. It doesn't always make linear sense. And a prophecy is a bit like that. Revelation is described as visionary literature. And John says, you know, I turned around and I saw. It's like a window of image. And then he'll say, and then I saw this. And it's like he's seeing different things. It's not like a complete story that's all nicely tied together that we might be used to reading. So we've got a letter, we've got a prophecy. The third thing that Revelation is, this is a fun, fun word, is apocalyptic literature. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a known genre in the Bible. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, they can be called apocalyptic literature. And we see a lot of their themes in Revelation. But what does that mean exactly? What goes through your head when you think of apocalypse? Apocalypse. 28 days later, zombie movies. Well, this was news to me. The word apocalypse in Greek, anyone know what it means? I bet Steve Kemp does. Apocalypse in the Greek means to reveal. It's a word, apocalypsis, it means unveiling, revealing, uh, or disclosure. And it's actually a common word that we see throughout the New Testament. It's not a scary word at all. Jesus says it a few times. Um, He says it in Matthew 11, 27. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And those whom the Son chooses to apocalypse him, to reveal him. Um, He says it again. Jesus replied in Matthew 16. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not apocalypsed to you. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So this book is... Is a book of revelation, right? The clues in the name is to reveal. So we see here, revelation is um, it's a prophecy, it's a letter, and it's apocalyptic literature. And the first, what does it do? What's it there for? It's there to reveal, not confuse. So, to everyone who's like, Revelation is scary, it is scary, kind of, but actually, it shouldn't feel scary because it's a book designed to reveal stuff to us about who Jesus is. And it was written for ordinary believers to know more about God, not to confuse them. And where it's been lost is that it's a book full of imagery, it's a poetically written book, it's a difficult book to get your head around. But when we keep this in our, the forefront of our mind, it's there to reveal stuff to us. It can encourage us and help us to understand a bit of the book. Because ultimately, it's there to reveal stuff that is hidden. It unveils stuff that's veiled. So what does it, what's hiding and what does it reveal? The book of Revelation reveals the hidden, resurrected, and glorified Christ. It reveals the hidden, angelic, and demonic hosts. It reveals the hidden hypocrisy of false believers. It reveals the hidden beauty of the bride of Christ. It reveals the hidden ugliness of the world and the world's systems. And it reveals the hidden plan for the renewal of all things. That's a pretty good list, isn't it? It's a pretty good list. So the book of Revelation is there to reveal to us. It's also there to bless us. Did you know that? It says I've already read it Revelation 1 verse 3 Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near So if you want to be blessed go home and read the book of Revelation I urge you to read it this week as we, read it every week for the next 7 weeks and I'd urge you to read it in one go Definitely really good to read it in one go. When you bite-size it up, it can get, it can get weird. <laughs> but in the whole context of the, of the letter, it's so beautiful to read. And I believe this is true, that it will bless you. And again, it says in Revelation 22, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near. I love the message translation of that verse. It says, do not put this book away on the shelf. It's an important book. Don't put it away on the shelf because it's there to reveal and it's there to bless us. There's a great book called Blessed by Nancy Guthrie which goes through the blessings in Revelation. There are seven blessings. I'd recommend reading that if you want to do further reading. And thirdly, it's a book there to encourage us. It's a book for our encouragement as well as to reveal and to bless. The encouragement in the book of Revelation is simple, right? It's written to the persecuted church, and the encouragement is to shift our perspective away from our feet and our suffering, which they were enduring, and it's an encouragement to look up and see the eternal significance of God, the eternal significance of why we're here, the big picture. I heard a great piece of parenting advice once from a guy called Krish Kandaya, an amazing man. And he said, if you want to be a great parent, here's all you have to do. Lean in, parents. This is good. This is gold. He said, all you should do is visualize your child as a 90-year-old man or woman. Picture them what are they doing, right, imagine, I want you to imagine them full of vitality and life in their advanced years, brimming with wisdom and godliness and peace, the kind of person that carries themselves in such a way that everyone wants to chat to them, people feel peaceful when they speak to them, people feel close to God when they're around them, you got that image in your head, Now simply consider what parenting decisions do you have to make now (laughs) that will help them get there? How are you going to change that nappy? What are you going to feed them for lunch? (laughs) It's a simple thing, right? But as with most things, when we force ourselves to take a step back and consider the big picture, where are we trying to get to? What are we looking ahead towards? then we start to realize that the decisions that we make now count. And when we look at the big picture that's painted for us in the letter of Revelation, it helps us to realize that our actions and our decisions that we make now, they count for eternity. That they are eternally significant. And when you think about what this letter's purpose is for the people that it was written to, the persecuted church, imagine how comforting and encouraging that simple truth is to a church who wake up each day with the very real possibility they could be killed for saying the name of Jesus. This letter is written to encourage and it speaks a narrative that says, your endurance means something. That your endurance is eternally significant. And the endurance of those who you've seen martyred, it's not been wasted. It is eternally significant. I heard a great summary of Revelation in one sentence that says, Fear not tomorrow, tomorrow is one. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. And if you're in the midst of of it, struggling to endure, then let's look at this book and the eternal significance of what's ahead of us. So Revelation is a book that we're going to go into that is designed to reveal the hidden Jesus, to bless those who read, hear, and apply its words. And it's written to encourage us to endure for eternity. So I want to zoom out now and just quickly paint the big picture of Revelation, dive into the first letter, and then we'll finish up. Because I think that Revelation is a whole book, right? It's broken down into seven parts. And I've got them on up here for you if you're interested. Um, and the two key themes that we see... Throughout the book of Revelation are essentially eternal glory and eternal suffering. We've got eternal glory. We've got eternal suffering. We've got the blessings. We've got the battles. And that's the the cold, hard truth that we see throughout Revelation. And you see here we've we've got the prologue and then we've got seven sections with seven things in them. But just to pick out a few, during the the first section, we've got this beautiful vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. You know, he's got eyes like flaming fire. He's got hair as white as wool. He's got the voice like the sound of rushing waters. His tongue is like a double-edged sword. He is the beginning and the end. We've got this incredible picture of the glory of Christ. And then we go through the letters to the churches, Jesus' feedback. Then we've got the throne room of God, Um, through the seven seals section, talking about the glory and the holiness of our God and what's going to come and the eternal glory that we see there. And then we've got a big old section full of the trials and the tribulations, basically from the trumpets down to the messages of final judgment. It gets pretty spicy. It's pretty hairy stuff. Um, But it pulls this eternal suffering theme out, right? They're not two words we want to think about. Stuff that we don't want to talk about as church. It's in the book. And it helps us to think about how our actions are eternally significant. It's not to be overlooked. And the good news is that when we get to the end, the seven last things, we see the new heaven and the new earth. We see the, fi- the two most beautiful chapters in the whole of the Bible. This final piece where God says, this is where we're going. And by the way, it's, this is sealed. It's done. Tomorrow is one. This is where we're going. So over the next seven weeks, as we zoom in on the seven churches, I want you to just keep in mind this bigger picture because it's really important. And I just want to read a section from Revelation 21 um, just, to, just to get this into our minds. This is, what we're, this is what we're going for, guys. And it's beautiful. It says this, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, he said, "I am making all things new." But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. I had a meeting with someone, and I had that slide up on my computer. (laughs) They came in, they were like, okay, okay. So just to close, I just want us to zoom in on on this final letter, the first letter to the churches, which we will be going through each week. And I'm sorry I haven't spent longer on this specific section. But it's written to the church in Ephesus. It's Revelation 2, 1 to 7. And Ephesus is the home of the Ephesians, who Paul wrote his famous letter to. It's where Paul spent loads of his time ministering. They planted loads of churches out of that church in Ephesus. Uh, And they did it in the heart of this crazy city. Ephesus was a multicultural city known for being the epicenter of worship for nearly all of the Roman and Greek gods. Had this temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, right in the middle of it. Uh, And it was a, a very crazy place. And Jesus writes this letter to one of the most successful churches in the ancient world. It was an amazing church that started so much life. And I'm going to go through it in a second, but what I want to do is just pick out the format of the letters to the church, because all seven are written in the same way. There's five things in each letter, that, and John, Jesus, writes the same thing, same format for each week. So just try and keep this in your mind as we go through each week. Because he opens each letter by describing Jesus using a direct quote from chapter 1. Then he gives a diagnosis. He gives feedback on how the church is doing. Then he gives them action points based on his feedback. This is what you've done. This is what you need to do now. Then he says to them, listen to all the letters of the churches, not just the one I've written to you. Everyone should listen to all the letters. And then finally, he promises a blessing to the people that stick to his feedback. To the one that conquers, you will have this. And that's is a direct quote from Revelation 21 and 22. So he's referencing Revelation 1 and Revelation 22. So the letter says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So he's bringing this description of Jesus from chapter 1. And the seven stars are the angels of the churches and the seven lampstands of the churches themselves. And God here is saying that I'm above all things. I hold the stars in my hand, but I walk among the churches. I'm above all things, but I'm right here with you. I'm the sovereign Lord and I'm Emmanuel, God with us. And he goes on, verse 2, he says, I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Well done, good and faithful servants. I feel like that's what he's getting at. Then he says, yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So this is the second part. This is the feedback, the diagnosis that Jesus gives. And he's giving the honest stuff, the good stuff, and the bad stuff. He loves their perseverance, but they have forsaken their first love. He goes on in verse 5 to say, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you repent, I will come to you and if you If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans is a group of false teachers. This is the third bit where he gives them action points. He says, this is what you've done well. This is what you've done badly. This is what you need to do. Repent. Consider the things that you used to do and do those. Love. You've forsaken your first love, so love well he breaks it down he makes it simple he continues in verse 7 whoever has ears to hear let them hear what the spirit says to the churches so this is the fourth thing where he says and he says this in every letter consider what the spirit says hear what the spirit says to the churches so he's as a warning listen to all of the advice i'm giving not just this specific thing and this is not just for Ephesus. Whoever has ears, who's got ears? We've all got ears. There we go. Most of us have ears. Uh, this is for you. And then he finishes the letter. but He says, to, though, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And he closes with a foreshadowing of Revelation 21 and 22. He closes with a quote From the end of the book where he says this is what's coming this is what happens when you stick to it this is the eternal significance of what I am saying he uses the tree of life in this particular section because it mirrors the tree of Artemis apparently the temple of Artemis the symbol for that was a palm tree and he's directly contrasting the tree of life to the tree of the time and that's the letter, that's the first letter. I'd recommend you go and, and sit in it and dwell in it. But what I wanted to pick out was that each letter is written as a kind of micro-narrative of the whole picture of Revelation. That we see what I was talking about in mini-form. That it starts with the eternal Jesus. Then we have the feedback and the reality of what's going on, the trials and the tribulations. And then we have the eternal Jesus. Peace of Jesus at the end. This is where we're going. This is who I am. This is what you're facing. This is where we're going. And this is the beauty and the encouragement of the book of Revelation. So as we go through this series, bearing that all in mind, I want you to really take this seriously. Take this series seriously. Think about those questions. What feedback might Jesus have for us? as individuals, as a church, as a nation? What action points might Jesus be giving to you, to us? What are the specific lessons that we can learn from the churches? And what is eternally at stake for you? thinking about the eternal significance because feedback is great honest feedback from friends that shows they care for you and they speak directly to you that is great we need that to be a healthy community feedback from Jesus is eternally significant